Hi, and welcome to The Optimist Chronicles, your emotional safe space to explore and be who you are and feel all your feelings. I'm your host, Anna Marie Green, clinical therapist, emotional wellness coach, and soul-led optimist, here to bring you all the topics and conversations to help you become more of yourself and see life in a more positive view. Let's get into it. Hi, friends. Are you curious on how to apply some of the skills and frameworks that I talk about in this podcast or just in general into your life? Do you want to know how to get past self-expression blocks from past traumas or past events that seem to kind of follow you throughout life? Well, I am excited to announce that the first group workshops are starting on Monday the 15th. For $50, you get two workshops per month talking about different skills that you need to up-level your life. Head to the show notes for more details. Hi, and welcome back to the Optimist Chronicles. There was definitely a week break, so this week I'm actually going to do two episodes. Um, I'm going to record the first one today, and then I'll record the second one tomorrow, which will be Monday. So you'll get two for one this week. So today I am talking about the emotional lessons that I learned from having epilepsy. And the reason that I am bringing this to you guys in an episode is because there are really important life lessons that I learned and a lot of the foundational work um, that I gained while growing up and experiencing the different obstacles and challenges I, I had with being physically disabled um, with my epilepsy has empowered me to be the person I am today, but also it allows me to help others who are also struggling with things or to overcome obstacles that like feel completely out of our control, that kind of feel hopeless, that make us feel trapped within our own bodies sometimes. And I just felt really called to share this episode or share these lessons Part of that is I had this amazing reading, uh, energetic reading, with um, one of my classmates, colleagues in the Soul Teacher program that I talked a little bit about last episode and probably throughout these episodes. So she was giving me an energetic reading for like me and my daughter and I are like soul contracts, all that kind of stuff. It was so beautiful and so profound. I like cried the whole time. Um, but one of the things that she brought up initially, which I didn't expect to hear about was when she was reading my crown chakra. Um, which for those of you who may not know what it is, it's the very top chakra, like right by the top of your head. And it, signifies like our connection to source and you know our soul's wisdom all this kind of stuff and she said like the first thing that she got was actually about my epilepsy and how there's this battle of feeling pride with my epilepsy and feeling like hopeless and um and almost the shame around it um specifically with you know the lack of autonomy that it kind of causes and not being able to drive. And she said like, you're, you're at war with it and you're really being asked to lean on the pride of, and, and look at and reframe your epilepsy, the gifts it has given you. And 
it really spoke to me because I have just like a week ago been talking to Sarah, my best friend and my roommate about how I didn't realize since I have moved out to Michigan, um, and, you know, started dating out here, how I have become ashamed of, of the fact that I'm epileptic, the fact that I'm disabled. And it's been something that I try to hide in conversations and avoid talking about because I have been viewing it as this like dirty secret or that people, it's going to change the way that people look at me. And part of that is, um, different events that have occurred in the last year and a half, um, in one of my, in, um, one of my close relationships. And I just hadn't realized how it kind of was like, I've been holding my breath and I've been so down about it and angry that I had completely forgot how proud I am and how for, it took me a a while, but most of my teenage years and certainly a majority of my early adult years, I was so proud of the fact that I had epilepsy. I viewed it as a gift. Um, That was what drove me. That's what brought me to the major I chose in college, the internships I took, the, the things I wanted to do in the world, the way I wanted to leave an impact in the world. And I had been so deeply disconnected with that part of myself. And so when she said that and I reflected on the conversation I had with my best friend, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and I, and I just started crying and, um, it was like breathing for the first time in a while. So I wanted to take this time and share with you guys the pride side of me living with epilepsy, but also just the things that I have learned about life, the things I've learned about myself and how I have turned this obstacle, this disability that I have no control over into something, into a a tool of empowerment, into helping me become who I am and finding my identity. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. So I want to start off with the history of me and my epilepsy. So I was diagnosed at four years old. I was singing the alphabet. Supposedly, this is the story my parents told me. And I stopped and I kind of like lost my place. My parents had an inkling of of what it was because my dad um, had absent seizures throughout his life that he eventually grew out of when he, I don't remember if it was in high school or college. I just know that he was able to drive when he was in college. So it was at some point he was on medication for a little while, but he decided to just like stop taking it and it worked, I guess. (laughs) So my family had kind of always hoped that I would grow out of it, but I, I just haven't. And I have, I definitely have them more frequently than frequently than my dad did. My dad said he would have it like once a month or twice a month. And I was like, Ooh, that's so weird because I have mine like one to three times a day. Um, but so, and some background about my specific epilepsy. So I have something called absence, absence seizures. Um, they essentially are like tiny staring spells. A lot of people are like, oh, you're just daydreaming. Um, but that's not actually the case. And for me, so what you might see if you were to observe me having one, 
now you might not even notice because I've had them for so long, my body has really adjusted to having them. But it, when I was younger, you might see my eyes flutter or like my face go monotone or like blank um, or my eyes roll up a little bit. I would completely stop what I was doing. Like when I was younger, there was concern that if I had a seizure in the street, I would stop. And if a car was coming, you know, I would get hit, that kind of thing. Um, so it was a very much like stop and it, and it, it would only happen for like one Mississippi, two miss like five seconds max. But now as an adult and my body adjusting to having them for so long, they are like super quick, like one, two, three. And most people don't actually don't even notice that, I, that I've had one because it'll just kind of sound like I took a pause when I'm talking or like a stutter. It's more noticeable after I've had it if I am confused, depending on what happens inside to me while I'm having the seizure. So for me, a lot of times I just see white um, or like I kind of describe it sometimes as like an out of body experience because as I've gotten older, my seizures are less inconvenient to me, I guess is what I could say. Because for example, when I'm running, if I have a seizure and a car is coming, my body will still see and hear the car, but it's just kind of, and then like move out of the way. But it's just like, I haven't consciously done that. I didn't like consciously, I didn't see the car. Um, it's just my sub, I say my subconscious took over and did it. And I've done things like shoot a foul shot at, in basketball or, and blocked a ball in volleyball all while having a seizure. So it's definitely, it's a very interesting and unique I, I like experience with my seizures. I don't really know any other person uh, who has the same type of experiences in my seizures. And besides the inability to drive, there's not much that I haven't been able to do in my life. You know, um, growing up, everyone was like, oh, you're not going to be able to do this and you're not going to be able to do that. And my parents were much more cautious about stuff like I wasn't allowed to do color guard or play on the monkey bars um, just because they were concerned that I was I was going to hurt myself. Um, so growing up, you know, there were some things that I wasn't able to do. And obviously not being able to drive is, is a huge deal. And it really does impact, you know, my sense of independence, especially being a mom. Um, it is very, very inconvenient to not be able to drive my daughter places without another person or without, you know, help. But um, essentially, you know, I've never been seizure-free since I was diagnosed at four years old. There was a time in high school where I was down to like maybe one to two seizures a month. And that was like the minimum that, I, that they've ever been in my entire life. And then I, uh, my boyfriend at the time, we were driving to school. He was driving to school. And there was a car accident. And I hit my head against the back of, um, he had a a bench seat pickup truck. It was like from like the 19 something, 1960s, 1970s. He's very proud of it. He fixed it up himself. And my head like went back and I hit the back of my head against the window cause it was right there. And my seizures got so bad. Um, I remember we went to school and my parents sometimes talk about this and they were like, you know, something was wrong because I, I went through my school day after getting in the accident, I went to school. We had a, I, I had a volleyball game that night. It was my senior year of varsity. And um, we were playing against Chambersburg, which they were these super big rivals. And like their student section was just such a pain. Oh, they were jerks. And you just wanted to win. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I then I had realized I'd left my uniform at home. So I called my, my dad. I was like, hey, dad, 
Um, I left my uniform at home. Could someone please drop it off by this time? Because we're leaving at this time to go to, to Chambersburg. And my dad was like, oh, yeah, okay. And he kind of like, was like, uh, you know, <laughs> the way the parents do when their kids, you know, forget something and they have to, you know, whatever. But, um, and then I was like, oh, and by the way, could you have mom call Dr. V who she's, she was my, she was my neurologist at the time. And, you know, have her make an appointment because, and maybe like figure out some medication thing because like I've had, I've had 50 seizures today. Um, and I was in a car accident and hit my head this morning. And I think that that has something to do with it. And I was like, okay, bye. (laughs) And my dad was like, he called me back. He was like, what? No, we're picking you up right now. You have to come home. You can't play tonight. And I was like, no, this is my senior year. And I, and I had worked really, really hard to make the varsity team, uh, that year. I'd like trained all summer and like, it was like a big deal for me. And it was the start of, I would say like we were heading towards playoffs or not playoffs, but like these games were the ones that really mattered to make it to playoffs and to make it to like to um, districts so I was like no and this was a hard team and I was so I was starting I was finally starting and they were like no and my dad called the coach and told the coach and then called the athletic trainer and my dad was also a basketball coach at my high school for the boys freshman team at the time so like he had everyone's number he was not disconnected and everyone was like you cannot play and so they had me sit they allowed me to go to the game I was so sad. And I sat in a dark room with the lights off with a towel over my head. And I was like, this sucks. And that's essentially what I did until my concussion was, because I did have a concussion uh, until my concussion was over. But my seizures never really recovered. After that, they got a little bit better. I wasn't having 50 a day, but they kind of went back to normal of where I was having like two to five a day. And if I really um, fun fact, <laughs> I always know when my body is angry at me or when I'm not taking care of myself because my seizures start acting up. Well, not acting up, but they're just like, Hey, this is a reminder to take care of yourself. And it, it can be like, I'm not sleeping. I'm not getting the sleep I need. It can be, I haven't exercised in a while and I have this like pent up energy or I need to move. Or it can be, I've eaten like total crap, like mostly bread and sugar and then my seizures like um so there's you know my seizures are definitely something that they let me know where i'm at (laughs) with stuff so now that you have a little bit of a background about my seizures i want to get into the lessons you know the emotional the juicy stuff of this episode so the first lesson that i have learned from having epilepsy is the power and reframe of uh, the power of reframing and of surrendering. So what I mean by that is that, you know, a lot of times we're told, you know, Oh, just reframe your problems. Just like think of it in a different way. And I have a lot of clients and I also have of myself with different things where you're just like, Oh, I don't want to do that. It sucks. And it's allowed to suck, but you're also allowed to find something powerful in the situation sucking as well. And when I, from a large majority of my life, and I think I actually talked about this in my college essay for a large majority of my life growing up, I would say until about 
14, maybe 15. I was very much like, woe is me. Why am I the kid in the family who has seizures? Why am I the kid who has to be in special education classes? Why aren't I smart? You know, I would be so much smarter if I didn't have seizures. Life would be so much better if I didn't have seizures because then I could be more athletic. I could be this, I could be that. It was all of these, like, if this didn't happen, then I could be the person I want. And I was so angry and I was so frustrated um, with God, but just like with life in general, I just felt trapped. And I was like, I'm not even going to be able to enjoy being 16 because all my friends are going to get licenses and I'm not going to. But my really pivotal moment, the things or the when things started to change and how I viewed my epilepsy and how I viewed my life and my identity, really the first step to me viewing my epilepsy is so vital in, in who I am and the tr like power of, of who I am was when I went to summer camp. It's called Camp Frog. It's a camp in central PA for kids with epilepsy. When I went to Camp Frog for the second time, um, and I don't remember what year that was, probably like 2008, 2009, maybe 2010. <laughs> um, and I had, I, I wasn't, it wasn't my first year. It was my second year. So I kind of knew the ropes a little bit and, you know, I, I was a little bit nervous to go back cause I wasn't sure how I felt my first year. And I met these younger campers. They had, they had moved the minimum age range for people who could go to camp from 12 to like eight. And so there were these younger campers and every, everyone that went with Camp Frog had epilepsy, different kinds of seizures. Um, and I had met the most profound people. I had met these, these kids whose epilepsy, they had tonic-clonic seizures um, or very physical seizures where their bodies would convulse or, you know, they would roam around or they would, um, it was much more disruptive for them than my seizures were for me. And these kids, they still, you know, they just, they went swimming and they, they tried new things and they were so, and some of them were so scared of kind of being off on their own, but they were challenging them themselves. And it really, it humbled me because I saw how they made the best of things and like, and how important just being able to go to camp was to them. And so it really allowed me to reflect on my own life and the privileges that I had in, in just having the type of seizures that I had. Um, and in addition to that, uh, these younger kids looked up to me. I've always been an extrovert. So I am the queen of like, oh, people aren't really talking to each other. All right, no problem. Let me break the ice. <laughs> Let me, <laughs> you know, ask a weird question or, you know, make tease it myself so that other people can feel a little bit more comfortable. And, um, especially campers who were like, not, there were a lot of campers who didn't really want to talk, who felt very, very nervous. And there was a particular camper who was not talking, was very nervous. And his mom was very nervous. And I made it my mission to get him to like have fun and open up and feel and feel excited and just really enjoy camp the way that I felt that camp should be enjoyed. 
And I didn't really think anything of it until the following year when he came back to camp and his mom pulled me aside and his mom was like, you have changed his life. Like he came back from camp a totally different person and he talked about how helpful you were, how important you were to his growth. Um, you know, he all of a sudden wanted to, to be a doctor and he wanted to just cure epilepsy and he was, he had all this confidence that he didn't have previously. And this mom was like thanking me for just being, um, I guess a leader, a mentor to her son while he was at camp. And that's kind of what I turned into at summer camp. And I, I went to summer camp from my first year and then I transitioned right away when I, when the, I think when I was like 17, I started transitioning to being a counselor, like as early as I could, they like were like, yeah, we're just going to move you over to counselor. And I did that. I, my last year as a counselor was 20 summer of 2018. Scar- yeah, Scar- Scarlet was born. So that was my last year as a counselor. Um, so sad. I love, I love summer camp. Um, but that's what my role turned into where I was helping the, these other individuals find confidence and independence and their identity and love for themselves and showing them that their disability is just an obstacle and it, it does not define who you are. Um, and really like helping, like helping people come outside of their boxes and, and challenging them. I, it was, um, you know, cause, and especially with summer camp, summer camp has the power to, depending on who you meet, has the power to really change the way that you view yourself and you can uniquely kind of show up as yourself or, you know, whatever you want your identity to be essentially. So I really made it a mission to like every person that was at camp in Camp Frog. I wanted them to have a great time. I wanted them to feel good about themselves. I wanted them to like laugh, let, let loose a little bit. I would, um, yeah, it was, it was a really pivoting moment for me. And I realized how much I cared and how important it was for me for people to feel empowered in who they are, regardless of the challenges that they faced. And I, through meeting these other children, um, these other individuals who also had epilepsy and many of them also faced other challenges as well because of the nature of their epilepsy or like the nature of the, um, disorder that caused them to be, to have seizures. Um, so many of them were limited in many other ways that I, you know, I'm fortunately, I fortunately am not. Um, but it lit a fire under me to want more for others and to want things to be easier for others. Um, regardless on what they're facing so in, so my first year at camp was sometime between 2009 and 2000 and two, oh no, my first year at camp was sometime between, well, my first year at camp was 2007. My second year was whatever, uh, whatever. Um, but in 2011, so after camp, I started to become really involved with the epilepsy foundation of, um, central Pennsylvania. And I met, 
wonderful role models and mentors for myself. And I also met my neurologist who, um, she's just the bomb.com and she understood me in such a very like pivotal way. She also would call me out when I would fake taking my medication because I was, your girl was not good at taking medication. I hated my epilepsy medication. Um, but I got really involved and in 2011 in April that the, they invited me to come and help lobby for the epilepsy foundation, um, for funding in the annual state budget in Pennsylvania. And they, so what they do is they have a breakfast for the legislators. And then, you know, you talk to some of them then if they, if they come. And then what we do is we go to office to office, um, both house reps and state senators. And we go and we like, sometimes if you're able to, you can schedule a meeting ahead of time. But a lot of times you're like, you're just trying to catch them. Um, because a lot of nonprofits and different organizations are lobbying at that time to ask to be included in the state budget, that kind of thing. And so you talk about the importance, how you serve constituents, um, the number of constituents that are, that are impacted by the specific mission of your organization, the things that you're doing, um, and also any type of legislative policy that might be coming up in, um, on the Senate floor or like on the floor to be voted on. If it, you know, if it made it out of committee and all that stuff, you are specifically advocating for those specific policies. And you might even be advocating to specific senators or um, house reps about, policy that was just introduced into committee, but they're voting members of the committee. So there's lots of different elements of the legislative breakfast or legislative breakfasts, but the, the, like, um, the political days, whatever. And it, they were always in April. Um, I'm sure that there was a special reason, but I cannot remember that for the life of me. So that, and that was the first year I did that. And I remember feeling so like, like high from it. I loved it. I loved going up. First of all, I loved dressing up. I still love dressing up. I wore like a pencil skirt or like slacks and little heels that went click clacky on the cobblestone floors of the, cause Harrisburg's capital has cobblestone floors and, you know, going across the rotunda. My dad also works at the state capitol. So he, that first year I saw how my dad went around and he was just, I mean, he knew all of the senators because he's, um, he's a reading clerk and so he like reads the like yays and nays and like the shit for like when they're on the floor. Um, when I, yeah, when I interned there, some of the senators were like, Rob Green, you're Rob Green's daughter. Well, he, that's what we call him the voice of God. Cause my dad has, is the one who like session will reconvene in 15 minutes bleep, 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 over the radios. It was very funny. Um, but I saw how my dad like went in there, what do you like his mannerisms and all this stuff. And I was like, oh man. And I was like, I can do that. And I want to do it. And I had this opportunity and I recognized that when I was talking and how I was speaking and how I was communicating the issues, people were listening and people were, you know, giving me the time of day. And from that point on, I was like every single April, that's where I was. And I loved it. That's what made me fall in love with politics and policy. Um, and I, I actually got to help with Senate bill. I think it was Senate bill two, which 
whatever year that happened, it was the um, really big policy that allowed for medical marijuana to be legally available in Pennsylvania. It was passed. It was legal. Um, I worked with Senator Falmer and the Epilepsy Foundation on on this bill because the Epilepsy Foundation was one of the organizations that was really pushing for this because of the relief and municipal benefits that it provided for individuals with severe seizure disorders, um, specifically as as an alternative to other epilepsy anti seizure medication, epilepsy medication. Um, and for those of you who, who don't know anything about epilepsy or seizures, th- that medication, those medications are very, very strong. They're very, very intense and they have these terrible side effects, um, especially for, you know, you have individual individuals who are infants and they're having these very intense seizures. So you need something else that's more, um, that isn't going to have such severe side effects. I remember one of the speakers that talked was they were parents and their daughter had um, a type of seizure disorder where she was having seizures every single day, multiple, you know, days a week. And she was only a couple months old and the medication stopped her heart. So they had to have all these other things around to support in case her heart stopped, which it had a couple times. And so they, their thing was like, it's, if there's something that can give us the relief from her seizures without having all of these other severe, deadly consequences, then that should be available for parents. And so there, I loved their, their, I mean, I didn't love their story, but it was very, very moving. Um, and I loved being a part of that, even seeing the different debates and, you know, people's different rationale for things and really it helped me explore communicating, but Anyway, so the main point of this was that this didn't, my, when I finally let go of throwing myself this pity party and feeling like life was out of control and trying and looking at my obstacle as an opportunity, you know, an opportunity to serve others, an opportunity to make the world a better place, but also an opportunity for me to step into something that I felt so powerful doing and I felt so aligned doing, I felt like myself and I felt like I finally had found a shred of talent because before this, I was like, well, I'm not athletic and I'm not good at math and I'm, I don't get the best grades. So like, what am I, what am I good for? Um, but I felt so aligned in those moments and I never would have had those opportunities had I not had my experience with epilepsy, had I not experience the things I did in the public education system with having a special, um, uh, with having a learning disability, um, and coming through those things and seeing my, my parents set wonderful examples for how to advocate and what I needed to do for myself. And that really took off. And so if you, if you're facing something really try to lean into like the power of a reframe, you know, what things did you learn about yourself having or experiencing this obstacle that maybe you wouldn't have. And it's harder for some things than others, but trying to figure out how you can empower yourself through your challenge or your obstacle, it doesn't mean that it doesn't suck. It doesn't mean that it's not terrible. It doesn't mean that people aren't in the wrong. But what it is, is it's you taking your power back from otherwise being like, I can't do anything. I'm completely helpless. I'm completely hopeless. And... 
letting it be a reason for your life sucking as opposed to, you know, how can I, how can I let myself still shine even though I experience this hard thing? And that kind of leads into the second part of this lesson, which is the power of surrendering. When I let go of why me, why can't it, why can't it be, you know, my brothers, or <laughs> you'd probably be so mad hearing me say that, um, my brothers or even like my sisters, why does it have to be me? And trying to control my epilepsy, um, trying to control my narrative of like, and I remember, you know, not wanting people to know. I remember my mom every single year, she sent notes to my teachers explaining my seizures, the things that might happen when I have a seizure, you know, the things I needed with my, um, my IEP and my 504. And like my mom was on it. She was like advocacy warrior. (laughs) And I, and even, you know, she brought somebody in to do a presentation on what is epilepsy and how to recognize it and some basic first aid things to explain it to my school so that I felt more comfortable. And I remember hating it. I didn't want anyone to know. I was so ashamed. I thought it was just like this terrible thing and people were going to think I'm weird. And people did. I was definitely bullied and that kind of like added to it. Um, fourth and fifth grade are like weird times. I think for every human being, um, but I learned to surrender. I was like, okay, this is something that I'm going to be living with. This is something I can't control. Like the medications might work, but they might not. And I honestly hate medication. And I had to decide what, how I wanted to live my life. Was I going to give it complete control and prevent me from loving myself from from experiencing life or was I just going to move along with it and, and see what I could take out of it. And when I finally surrendered, I unlocked this like super powerful part of myself. And it was, I, I, I all of a sudden had this new direction and this motivation, you know, I, my epilepsy is the reason I studied social work in college Um, and the reason I had the different dreams I want and, you know, my 10 year plan to become a state Senator, because I knew that I had the privilege of, of having a physical disability that wasn't so debilitating that I couldn't communicate or I couldn't go and do certain things. And I also was painfully aware of the world. My mother, you know, always, always the realist you know, she, she would tell me, you know, the, the, it stinks that the world is going to judge you physically, but they will. And so, especially you being a black woman and you being disabled and you being a woman, (laughs) she's like, the world will care how you speak, how you dress and how you look. And I growing up saw the opportunity that I had to make to clear a pathway for others who were not as fortunate to have the support systems that I had to have the, I had a, I lived in a, I was blessed to live in a really good school district that had a lot of really great special education programs to have the mentors that I had to have the family that I had and, and to have the specific seizures that I had. And I, I wanted to make things better 
and being able to reframe. I started reframing my epilepsy as a gift. You know, this is the thing that helped me become who I am, that helped me build resiliency, that helped me challenge the way that things were. You know, I saw my my mom challenging systems, challenging, you know, whether it was teachers or it was just the special education part, department in general or, you know, whatever it might be. I saw her challenging those norms to create a better pathway for me to success. And I wanted to do that with everyone else. I didn't think there was a reason that somebody couldn't you know, that the, the one child that I mentored, um, and I became very close with his family, there was no reason he couldn't become a doctor. There was no reason that, you know, there shouldn't be. And I, um, eventually went into, I did several research projects on the Pennsylvania public education system and, um, some, a term called transition. So, when we talk about individuals with disabilities transitioning is like middle school to high school, high school to college or high school to, to like life. Um, and so I had the ability to represent the epilepsy foundation as a youth spokesperson. And I was on their youth, um, youth and young adult council. And I was a speaker at several of their conferences, but also, um, regional conferences, and national conferences for transitioning for students and parents of students with disabilities. So, and I specifically spoke on the transition from high school to college and the things that students needed to know to either um, to make that adjustment. So that includes like the importance of having a 504 versus an IEP, or if you're going to have an IEP, trying to also get a 504 so that your accommodations can follow you to college. The um, the legal obligations of higher different higher education institutions based off of the accommodations and the disability you have, um, how to face other things like socially communicating when you have a disability or figuring out di- social dynamics, roommates, all that kind of stuff. I had, um, you know, I had my own room at these conferences because there were different like breakout rooms that parents and students went to, and. Um, and yeah, and my, my mom was actually asked to speak at a couple of them as well as just like the parent. So like she had her own, you know, thing as, as the parent. And I, I found my voice and I found who I was and what I loved and my passion. Even now, you know, my mission has in my life has always been to make life better for other people, to improve people's quality of life, to change and challenge the systems the way that they are so that people can live happy lives. Like I just have always believed that like the systems can simplify and give people more opportunities to just unlock themselves and the power within themselves. It's always been that way. Um, So it's just, that is such a huge lesson. And I think for those of us who, you know, all of us have something that we have to overcome and when we surrender to it, it also makes it easier to reframe it. And when when we surrender and reframe, it opens the doorways to letting it change our lives in a positive way. Nobody escapes life without some hard experiences and without something challenging even our way of thinking. But if we surrender and prioritize ourselves and start reframing, 
we'll be able to see how truly and divinely powerful we are and how powerful powerful our souls are. The next lesson that I learned was the power of community. And this one has a couple different kind of like subsections to it. So first, the power of community was, and it kind of goes into the story I told you about, you know, going to camp and being becoming an active member and an advocate for the Epilepsy Foundation. Those were my people. I could not wait to go to camp every single year and see everyone again. You know, they ex- like they accepted my weirdness. You know, you could just, I felt like I could be myself without any ridicule. And also you finally have people who kind of understand a little bit of what you're going through, who speak your language, who, you know, talking about crappy seizure medications and, um, you know, how powerful that was to have other people who, who validate your experience, who don't think you're a freak for your experience and how important that was to me and in building my own confidence and not and, and again, that kind of like taking me out of that, that self-pity that, oh, I'm all alone and I'm by myself and nobody could possibly understand me. And it's always going to be this way mindset because here I was meeting other, other kids who also had much more severe experiences than I had um, and, and our ability to connect in that way. But another level of that was, you know, I, and I spoke about a little bit about this a couple minutes ago going to camp, meeting all of these other people and having epilepsy has also made me very, very aware of my own privilege. So not everyone has the support systems that I have. Not everyone has the ability to live a, you know, normal, independent life, um, what we would call normal, (laughs) um, but independent life, the way I have, I tell people, you know, when they ask, you still have seizures. Well, like what is, what is kind of the, you know, the likelihood of you not having seizures and what is it like for other people who your age who have seizures? And to be honest, all of the people that I know, um, who had the same type of seizures as me or like the people I know who are my age, most of them, their seizures have been able to be controlled with medication. And so they've been seizure free for a while and they can drive and they can do these different things. But if they are still having seizures, a lot of them are, aren't able to live independently the way that I am or are, aren't able to, um, to have kind of a similar like lifestyle or experiences that I have. Um, they usually have other types of disabilities as well. Um, so there, there is still kind of somewhat of that feeling a little isolated. Um, but honestly, the, the ability to, to, to the ability to identify the areas in which I was privileged in this experience, you know, I have aunts who are so freaking smart. My one aunt, she, um, she worked in the school district and she just, she knew all the stuff about special education and she would help educate my mom. And I had my mom and my dad who were my biggest advocates and they taught me how to advocate for myself. And, and then I was able to, and, 
people listened and people, we had conversations. I was able to connect with people and help them see other ways of thinking about things and other ways of framing problems that allowed us to find a common ground so that we could create clearer pathways for people to reach success, even with having a disability. And my community was so, 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 so important for, and for this, this, this element of my life, I mean, all elements of my life, because your village is important, everyone. Um, but I really learned the power of having a community through having my epilepsy. Um, I had teachers and, and mentors who, who just, even when I didn't believe in myself, even when I was shitty and didn't hand in my homework, because, because I didn't, (laughs) um, who were just like, no, you're smart. You can do this. You, this, this, and this. And, um, and it was just a really important lesson for me to learn because it also inspired me to want to be a part of other people's communities so that I could offer up my own unique gifts and seeing how everyone's story and everyone's gifts and they, everyone has something to bring to the table. Nobody doesn't have, nobody, how do I, I don't know why I can't think of, of how I want to create this, but essentially everybody brings something powerful in a community, every single person. And the best kind of communities help you see that and support that growth and support the person you are becoming. Um, Another element of kind of the power of community is kind of how you can go and reflect inward and how the people around you and, you know, not even just like the community, like, so like not necessarily the people with epilepsy, but just like my friends, um, and, and relationships and things like that and how, like the power that they have in how you see yourself, how you exist in the world with your disability or with your, like interact with your challenge and how you're framing it. Um, because they, uh, so our relationships are mirrors of kind of what goes on on the inside for us. So some of our closest relationships will show us, you know, some shadow areas, some, which are areas of our lives or perspectives of experiences or ourselves that feel very dark and feel very sad or feel very like hopeless. Um, and our relationships can help call out call out those, those shadow parts so that we can shed a little bit of light on them and work through them and let them go so that we can become more of the person that we're meant to be, which is not being held back by, you know, this, this certain framework around whatever our obstacle is. And, you know, the really big, and I'm, and I am personally learning this lesson right now because, you know, I, I was fortunate where all of my life I've been surrounded by people who have believed in me and who have never made me feel 
like my epilepsy was like this unbearable element of my life. You know, they just are like, okay, dang, that stinks. Oh, that's crazy. Tell me a little bit more. But like, okay. (laughs) And in the last year and a half, I, or year and a half, something like that, year and a half, almost two years. Um, I can't remember when it probably like started to kind of go down this road, but I, um, I have a personal connection or relationship with someone and they don't view my epilepsy that way. They have viewed it as a burden on them and overwhelming to them and just really like treating it like this, this, um, terrible part of, of who I am. Um, and really kind of seeing it as like, well, look at all that I have to do because of this element. And it's caused a lot of issues in this connection. Um, but I, you know, with the conversations I've had recently and, you know, that reading I just had, it is, and, and, and their reaction is an opportunity for me to see the shadow part of my beliefs, um, about my epilepsy. So, you know, for, for years I had been around people who were very supportive, very positive, um, and, and helped me connect with this really positive side. And so I've been able to disconnect from, from the, the shadowy side of, of my beliefs about it. Um, you know, we have, we, even when we reframe things, even when we surrender to things, there is usually still a side that's like angry about or upset about it that is like holding on to it, but we're so busy like focusing on the other stuff. And especially if you are like your girl personally, you fill your time and and space with like things to do. So, you know, me focusing on wanting to be the youngest state senator in Pennsylvania or, you know, wanting taking on this internship or working three jobs or doing all of the things that I did when I was younger. I don't have time to focus on the negative beliefs that I may have, the things that I'm silently suffering. And, and I was kind of raised with the mindset of like, cry on the inside and then like get back to it. Um, my, I remember my dad always telling me like when I would tell him about bullies and stuff, like never let them see you cry because then they know they've won. And so I, until I had my daughter, I actually didn't like cry a lot. I prided myself on like, I'm not emotional. Um, anyway, so what I, what I've realized is, and I think I talked about this in the beginning of, um, the episode is just, I'm recognizing again, the power of our community and being able to shine light on our, on different parts of ourselves and different parts of our psyche and our soul that we are not dealing with. And it can really highlight the areas that we need to work on emotionally. I want you to, I want you to know that. So those, the things that when we, when somebody says something and it particularly really, really bothers us, it's, 
it's an opportunity for us to see like, how do I believe what they say about me or how, you know, how do I believe what they say or what they're saying right now? How am I taking it in internally? And what is it, what is it, um, nudging that's, that's already inside of me. So this person's belief that like, it's a burden and it's, it's going to prevent us from having the best possible connection. And it's such a huge undertaking and, um, and how hard it's going to be on them. And I need to create all of the, the solutions and I should feel guilty and be eternally grateful. And, um, it highlights the frustration and the insecurity I have about being epileptic and not being able to drive, not even being epileptic, just not being able to drive. Um, and, and how I feel like my epilepsy traps me and prevents me from my own autonomy and from being able to be, you know, the best person or mother that I can be, or, you know, just feeling trapped in, in life sometimes, because if I want to go to the grocery store, because I realized I need something really quick, I can't do that. I have to like wait for a lift or ask like, my best friend to go or I have to spend extra money to order Instacart because it is more expensive to order Instacart. And, you know, I had not been addressing these beliefs. I had a lot of other emotional things to address in, in the last like five years, but I have been ignoring that part. And, and then, you know, that's what really gave me this opportunity to reflect on the fact that, in this relationship, in this connection, I have felt really ashamed of myself for having epilepsy and for being disabled to the point where I'm like hoping that nobody notices or nobody brings it up. And it's not an, and I think I ignored it because it wasn't something I was used to feeling And then now I'm looking back and I've realized how disconnected I am from the pride side of things, from feeling empowered by the fact that I have epilepsy and that it has given me so much in my life. And I wanted to share this with you because that is a huge example of how your community and the people you're surrounding yourself with are impacting you, are impacting the way you're experiencing life and how you're seeing yourself and how you're showing up. You know, I have been, since all of, all of this stuff has happened, I have felt so ashamed and like, oh my gosh, all I felt so guilty in all of my relationships, except for like the ones with my parents. Cause like they regularly like, you literally cannot drive. You're not, it's legally not allowed. You have not, there's nothing you can do about it. It was like, and you know, we're family. So like we got you. And and so besides my parents and my best friend, because you know, that dynamic is also like family, um, where I felt guilty and like a burden to the people around me. And so then I don't feel safe in my relationships anymore. Or, um, I don't feel like I can honestly show up as myself. And I just hadn't realized it because it's been like flying under the radar. Cause it's a part of myself that I haven't identified. And so what I want you guys to do with this lesson, with this example is look at the relationships that you have, 
how did, how are they making you feel? Are they highlighting any insecurity? Are you feeling differently about your role in this world or your, you know, your power in this world, your identity because of a specific relationship? And that is not me saying like, go and like change the relationship, but sit with that and, and identify what's going on so that you can kind of create the steps of like, how do you address this? How do you move forward? How do you empower yourself again? And how do you let go of that shadow mindset? That's a shadow side of your psyche. You know, how can you feel empowered through your experiences again? Um, our relationships are our best mirror. I could go on and on about that. I will probably have an episode at a later date about that. I have tons of examples, um, but I'm going to let that stay here for now. Um, and what, another thing I will add to the community piece is our greatest challenges in life and the things that we feel out of control and hopeless and like we cannot necessarily change it are the best opportunities to see who is truly like a soulmate connection to you to see who's and I mean that in the sense of like who's really in your community who's who's got your back who is going to help you feel empowered by your experience as opposed to you know wallowing in self-pity and feeling out of control and feeling trapped who are those people I had, um, uh, and this is an example of that conversation. You know, I, I had the reading, but a week prior to the reading, I had a conversation with a new connection. Um, I was at their, uh, their pool and tennis club and I was talking to her and her husband, um, about like the special education system and 504s versus IEPs and different accommodations and blah, 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 transitions. Um, cause their son has a disability and, I talked about my background and I, I hadn't realized I hadn't talked about this in so long with someone, um, especially someone, you know, in Michigan. And I said, you know, I've, I've had epilepsy since I was four. I can't drive. This is this. And they were like, Whoa, how'd you get here today? I was like, Oh, my roommate dropped me off. And, but a lot of times like I'll lift places or, you know, whatever, like I figure it out. And, and, she was like, well, do you need a ride home? Like, how are you getting home? And I was like, oh, my roommate's going to come pick me up again. Like, we only live like seven minutes away, so it's not a big deal. Um, and I already talked to her previously. And she and her husband were like, well, it's not a big deal. We can just drop you off. They were like, if you need a ride somewhere, like, it's fine. <laughs> and I had forgotten what it was like when you give people an opportunity to show up for you when you, and then people wanting to show up for you, not like I have to, or, you know, I'm going to do this, but like, I don't really want to. It's not really like, <laughs> I had forgotten what it felt like for people to not feel like a burden to someone, for people to genuinely want to be a part of your community because they like you or they care about you or just I hadn't connected with that in a while, especially out in Michigan. Um, I do have support systems in Michigan, but I, it had been just a long time. And that's another thing about obstacles. Is there a really good way of figuring out who is a, is a, who is a good fit for your community to help you overcome your challenge 
in whatever way that you need to, whatever your challenge may be, who is going to be like, keep going. You got this when you want to quit, when you want to sit in self-pity for, for years or for whatever, like it's okay to be sad, to be angry, to have your feelings about it, to feel insecure about your obstacle, your challenge, but who's going to be like, okay, so then what do we need? What do we need to do? What, how can we, you know, how can we solve this problem? And who sees you and sees your true light and shine, regardless of what your obstacle is. Who's like, I hear you and this does suck and I'm sorry that this sucks. But I got you and this is what you're capable of and I and and who lifts you up through these challenges. And that's really the power of a community is being able to see who's got your who's who's got your back. Um, because life is all about experiencing these challenges. There's no life that gets through without challenges or obstacles. So having people around you who, who really are there, who really, you know, yeah, (laughs) sorry. I actually had a seizure and I lost my train of thought. Ha ha. You guys got to experience it, you know, virtually. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so your obstacles are an opportunity for you to really dig into and connect with the power of community. Your obstacles and challenges are an opportunity for you to reframe who you are and to surrender to things so that you can unlock new levels of identity and power and and drive and motivation and just a passion for life um, and to connect with other people. So the next couple lessons. I'm going to try to get through these ones a little quicker, um, especially since I've told you most of the, the really big stories. Um, but some, um, a way of thinking, a, a framework that I wanted to share with you guys that I've learned is that our biggest challenges have the opportunity to guide us to our greatest satisfaction in life. I, when I'm in the middle of a challenge, I'm sure that I don't normally say that I'm, I'm very much like, ah, why I can't, like, I can't move. I can't breathe. But every single major challenge that I have had in my life, when I have sat through it and felt the feelings that need to be felt and surrendered to it and then tried to reframe it. And granted it's, easier with some things than it is with others, but I have had the most vibrant and beautiful experiences on the other side of that. Um, I will say like the hardest experience has been, um, uh, my past partner's death, but looking back on it, I also have had these beautiful experiences with with my own family and my community and like afterwards and and how, because of how they, they supported me and, and carried me through that time. But even with my epilepsy, it just, it unlocks these new levels of your life and this new way of feeling and, and really stepping into your own life. You're into your, into your light, into your power. 
um, your soul's purpose, all these things are obstacles are going to be able to give us a more, I don't know, <laughs> like I, I'm trying to think of the word. I know what I want to say, but I'm trying to think of the word. It's just a, a more, a life that's filled with more of you. And, and so trying to allow yourself to surrender so that you can get to that place is really important. Another element that I want to talk about is our challenges. And this kind of goes along with like connecting with others and how our obstacles and our challenges help us connect with others. One of the big lessons that I had to learn the hard way and I learned, and I've been learning it. I still, I feel like I'm still actively learning it. Um, but one of the things about not being able to drive, having epilepsy, not being able to drive is it requires me to ask for help like a lot. And I have been resisting asking for help my entire life. Like my mom would always be like, you have, you can't be afraid of asking for help. Like you don't want to get behind. And like, sometimes you're going to need help. That's just how it is. And like, you remember you have to work harder than the average person just to get the same thing or just a little bit of what they have. And that might require asking for help. I don't care if it's embarrassing, blah, 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 blah. My mom would tell me this until she was blue in the face. And I was always like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I would never ask for help. I hated asking for help. I viewed it as a weakness. I didn't want people to know my weaknesses. I didn't want people to know that I was struggling. I wanted to keep my bullshit in my corner. And I just, I didn't want people to touch it. I was like, I'll figure out my bullshit when I can. And I'll, if I did ask for help, it was from people that I absolutely 150% trusted that they weren't going to use it against me. That they weren't going to use it as a, as a way to invalidate me or as a way to belittle me or tell me that I wasn't going to be successful. So I was very, very particular and I avoided asking for help for a very, very long time. That changed when I had a baby and I had to ask for help. Um, but it also changed when I moved out of state, even like it changed to an even different, like a more intense way because I had to ask for help from people that I had just met. I, um, I joined a gym when I first moved out to Michigan and the owner, she's the most beautiful soul ever. Like she just like, she, I just feel so safe with her. It's wild. <laughs> she's wonderful. Um, her name is Hillary. And I remember allowing myself to like, I didn't, I don't think I necessarily asked for help cause I don't like asking for help, but I, put my situation out there being unable to drive and I accepted the help, which was a, also a very big thing for me because people would offer help all the time, but I would not accept it because I didn't believe that people were off genuinely offering to help. Um, I never wanted to be in a situation where like people offered and then like I took them up on the offer and then they were like bitter about it or threw it in my face. I hate when things are thrown, like, oh, I did this thing for you. And it was, look, look at how, whatever. And like using it as like, I don't know, using it against me in some way. Um, and, but I accepted the help. And cause before that I was either like, cause the bus systems out here are like super inconvenient. Michigan has terrible public transportation. <laughs> so wonder I moved here. Um, 
And so I was either walking or running to the gym. It was about like a mile and some change away or, or maybe it was three miles. I don't remember. It wasn't that bad. I've walked and ran much further distances and, um, or like my roommate would come and pick me up. She wasn't like working at the time. So if it wasn't like too early or too late, she would come and like help me out and, because she's dope like that. <laughs> um, but the, Hillary would just be like, I can take you home. And then, you know, she, I think she shared my situation and like with um, another member of the gym. Um, her name's Dana. And she is also very, very dope and very, very cool. And both of them are kind of like, oh my God, they give off like mom energy. And I just like love them. Um, and so she was like, no, I can take you some time or I can do this and I can do that. And they, saw that I don't really like asking for help. And so they would almost like be like, no, we're going to, we're just going to take you home. We're going to do this. And, um, and that was like a really big challenge that I had to overcome was just like accepting help, asking for help. Um, I also had, um, a really close friend and I wanted two really close friends, but one of them I, I knew from high school and we had been friends since high school and they live out here. He lives out here as well. And his girlfriend who I became really close friends with. And so they are really, they're also part of my support system out here and allowing them to help me and allowing myself to ask for help from them has been a really big challenge. And so when it comes to our obstacles and our challenges, willing to ask for help and accept help is a step in also helping you heal and come move past your challenges, overcome your challenges, um, connect with a community and not allow yourself to stay isolated in the trauma or in the difficult situation. Um, and then the final thing that I kind of learned from the emotional lesson I learned from my epilepsy is how to calm down and communicate with my body. And I told you guys a little bit about this in the beginning where my epilepsy is this like weird thing. <laughs> Cause a lot of times doctors are like, I'm sorry, what, what are your seizures like? I've never seen this. I've never heard of this. Like, I have doctor friends and, and my best friend's a PA and I don't think she's ever like seen anything like mine and my other doctor friends like that's super weird bro <laughs> like yeah I know um and so I don't I am not on epilepsy medication now I haven't been since before my daughter was born I don't like epilepsy medication um so I just kind of like you know I'm like hopefully they'll I'll like grow out of it or like there will be some natural remedy or whatever but I just kind of roll with it um but anyway so my epilepsy and the nature of it has forced me to learn how to communicate with my body. And I think it has been a really unique opportunity and gift for me because a lot of people, what I'm realizing through my therapy clients and my coaching clients is like, most of us don't know how to connect with our bodies and we kind of just ignore them like all the time. <laughs> um, and our bodies are constantly communicating to us about things like how we emotionally feel, what we should do. Um, what we need. So the difference between me and other people is that instead of just like the normal signals, like, you know, breaking out or, um, feeling anxious or like inability to sleep or whatever, or like knots in my stomach, which I still have those things. Those things happen to me. Um, you should see me this past week when Scarlett was having some health stuff and my entire face like broke out so terribly and 
all of these like, just like, well, they were, it was acne, but then like, I pick, so it was wounds. It was terrible. <laughs> um, but my seizures, so when I am super anxious, super stressed, um, I'll, I'll have start having seizures. And it's kind of like my body's being like, okay, you need to calm down. You need to take a second. You need to breathe. When I am, so every single time that I get very like, emotionally distressed and I'm like sobbing and I'm the type of like crier where I like hyperventilate and sob at the same time. And it's very like, I almost get in this like trance where I'm just like, I can't focus. Um, or well, I can't come, like I can't connect with anything around me. Um, my body will have a seizure and it's almost like a reset where like I stop crying. I like take a deep breath all in all in my seizure and then for like a couple seconds after the seizure is over or whatever um I forget why I'm crying I forget you know what's happening and then I have to remind like if I'm gonna stay in it I I have to remind myself of of everything that happened so that it starts again but then like it gets to a certain point where then I'll have another seizure and like it's just kind of like this reset um if I'm not sleeping I'm not um, I'm not eating the way that I need to. I'll start having seizures and my body's like, Hey, Hey, you need sleep. Hey bitch, go to bed. Or like, um, you've been eating like crap and your body is very angry. And this is our way of telling you before things get worse. Like instead of having bread, why don't we like chill out for a little bit? Let's do like a detox. Um, fun fact, the ketogenic diet is one of the only, um, medical treatments that I have experienced through a neurologist that has helped me. Um, and then what I've experimented with over the years is that like part of it is, is gluten levels and stuff like that. So lots of, um, different things that I've learned. So I, you know, and I've also learned that like, if I work out in the mornings, I have less seizures throughout the day. Um, so like if I have too much energy because I haven't worked out or I haven't moved, um, I'll have more seizures. So it's a very, um, it communicates to me all the time. And, but what it forces me to do is connect with my body. And so what I wanted you guys to get out of this is the importance of connecting with your body, the importance of taking a second when you're super upset or, you know, when you haven't been sleeping, asking yourself what's going on, why are things happening this way? And how does your body feel? Our bodies a lot of time will tell us exactly what we need. It's just that we have to be willing to listen to them and we have to be willing to honor the messages that they're trying to tell us. So if your body is negatively reacting to like a food you're eating or, you know, it's, it's having trouble falling asleep or it's, you know, it's feeling, um, like it can't settle at all. There are different messages that it's trying to, to communicate with you. And so it's our responsibility to honor our body and to sit with it and ask what it needs and figure out how to show up for it. Because when we physically show up for ourselves, it also sends a message to our brains emotionally that like we got our backs and like it's safe. It we're safe within ourselves and we, and we deserve love. And like, it's essentially the first signs of like loving yourself, um, and letting, letting yourself find ease, knowing that you're going to be able to give it what it feels it might lack.
And then the final lesson, I know I said that the last one might have been the final lesson, but one more thing I wanted to add. I had this in my notes and I was kind of like, eh, it's not really an emotional lesson, but I feel called to speak on it. Advocate for yourself. You know you best. You know what you need to excel. You know what you want, what you want out of a situation. And if people aren't seeing you, advocating for yourself is making sure that people see you. You deserve to be seen, you deserve to be heard, and you deserve to have a life that feels good, that feels like you're the most you you can be. And learning to speak up for yourself, learning how to speak on the things that you need in life is such a powerful tool. I've been very blessed to have learned it from a very young age and to have wonderful role models and mentors who have showed me the way and, and, you know, given me a path on understanding, you know, the different policies and things like that. And yes, there are people who are supposed to know and so who are supposed to, where you shouldn't have to advocate for yourself, like in the classroom, but everyone is human and sometimes they miss things. And sometimes, you know, they have their own life things that get in the way of them being able to help you the way that they should. And you have the power to change that. And you have the power to ask for what you want, to ask for the help, to make life more of what you need it to be. And whether that is in a job or that is at school or that is at home or that is in relationships, whatever the case is, you know what you need. Your body knows what you need. Figure out a way to communicate it. Practice communicating it. You know, if it doesn't, if you're struggling with communicating face-to-face, journal it, write it down first. My mom wrote letters to all of my teachers when she didn't, when I was in high school and I had like nine or 10 teachers because we switched classes, she wrote letters, physical letters that I would have to hand into each one of them. And it felt a little bit too aggressive for me, but like, that's what she did. And that was her thing. And that helped because now they know, okay, this is what this person needs. Every single teacher is required to read IEPs and 504s. Um, but there's when you're in high school and you have like hundreds of kids, they're not always going to know that it's you. Um, so to apply that to your own life, know where you're at, know what you need, recognize and reflect on the type of help that you may need, whether it's like you need a therapist or you need maybe like a career coach or you need, you know, a friend who can pat you in the back, pat you on the back or, you know, um, a trainer who's going to like keep you accountable, whatever, whatever it is that the obstacle that you're facing, ask for help, accept the help and share your experience. I talked about it in the episode reflecting on the conversations I had with my grandfather. Own your story. That is going to allow you to show up as yourself, to love yourself, and it is going to elevate your life so much. Self-advocacy skills are like vital for everyone, but especially if you have a disability, if you have, if you're going through a challenging time right now, advocacy is just like super important. And, you know, it can help you make political change if you so, if you so desire. So that is all I have for you today. I hope that you enjoyed it. And just to sum it up, 
the things that I want you to take away from all of my stories and, and me living with epilepsy is that own your story, surrender to the challenge that you are facing. Allow yourself to reframe it and see it as a figure out how you can see it as a, as a form of power for yourself as a way to empower yourself and don't let that, don't let reframing it invalidate your experience or invalidate the emotions that you felt. I don't want you to distract yourself from your feelings, but I want you to surrender, feel your feelings, and then allow yourself to reframe and see your, see you. Your life is not about your challenge. It's not about your obstacle. It is about you living life in an honest and vibrant way and your challenges don't deserve to live your life. You deserve to live it. So I want you figuring out how to reframe it, how to become more powerful through your obstacles. Connect with your community. Let it, let it help you connect to the people around you, whether that is recognizing and finding a community that understands you and validates your experience, or it's showing you different ways that your like to appreciate your community because of how they show up for you or maybe it's highlighting and identifying ways that maybe you need a new community or maybe weaknesses within your connections and relationships as they are or perhaps like it's showing you your own internal work that you need to do regardless of what it is allow your yourself to connect with the power of community and all of the lessons and opportunities that it is giving you to evolve and to upgrade, to up level, to become the most powerful and beautiful and vibrant version of yourself in this lifetime. Let it guide you to connecting to your body. Let your body guide you in navigating life and navigating obstacles and telling you what you need you don't always need to think of the answers. Sometimes it just requires you to feel and it just requires you to ground, to move forward. Our challenges can be the biggest opportunities for a more connected life and a life that's filled with more of us. Allow yourself that opportunity. Allow yourself to move through your challenges and obstacles in that way. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, regardless of what you're going through, you got this. See you guys soon. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you've liked what you've heard in this episode or the past episodes, I would love for you to subscribe and share this episode with others. Um, and remember to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It means so much and it does make a difference. So I really, really appreciate you guys and all your support. If you want the different answers and the ability to heal your life, heal your past experiences, free yourself from emotional misery and stuckness, I invite you to join my monthly group skills workshops where I give you all the answers and insight on how to apply skills and strategies and frameworks that are going to help transform your life so you can have the life that you want. You can move past those stuck emotions. You can process trauma. You can be the most powerful person that you deserve to be. 
doors open on Tuesday and you can sign up up until Thursday. And I look forward to seeing you guys there. Look for the details in the show notes. Have a great day.